Hi, everyone. Well, I guess I'm the Cheryl. <laughs> I hope I am. And, I, you know, I thought about that. Did she get the right Cheryl? It, it, what was she listening to? But I did do a, um, my husband and I spoke together at a spring banquet. It was AA and Al-Anon. And that was on CD. And I thought, is that the one she listened to? And I, I couldn't, like, keep kept going through my head like, I hope I don't disappoint and she finds out she got the wrong Cheryl. <laughs> so anyways, um, Anita, I, I thank you and Barb and everyone that put this great conference together. Um, my husband and I came last year. Uh, Pat from my home group told me about um, the conference and we had been to other ones, but we found this one to be such a serene. I mean, the other ones are, too, in many ways. They're larger, too. They're, there's something different, I felt, with this one. My husband, when I mentioned about it this year, he's more excited than me. <laughs> um, and even coming here today, I was thinking about uh, the surroundings, and we went over to the restaurant to eat. And just spending that time together, relaxing, beautiful weather, seeing beautiful faces, and thinking, this is the gifts that I have in my life. Because when Anita mentioned to me, well, I, as far as telling my story, um, I thought, uh, I've told it before, and for me, you know, sometimes I can overanalyze things. Okay, do I want, do I really want to talk about that, or do I, but what it is, is it's my story, it's my life, and when I think about standing here right now, and what's been possible, and who made that all possible for me, I am, like, beyond grateful for that. Um, my story started 63 years ago. Um, I was one of five children. Uh, my mom, uh, she had five children by the time she was 22 years old. And um, we were very isolated. My dad had moved us to an area. I, re I think as a, under the age of five, I, I'd lived in a few different places. But... Um, I can remember back when I was five, uh, we moved to an area where we lived uh, for a good many years, but we had no family or anyone around, and my dad worked. My dad had a decent, good job, um, but we had no money. Uh, we had, many times we had no food. Um, uh, a lot of abuse in my home growing up, and um, my dad spent a lot of time out, um, but when he came home, the raging would start. Um, when he wasn't home, my mom was raging, uh, taking out on us uh, her anger, frustration. I mean, to have five kids and nobody around to help, she didn't drive. My dad controlled everything. He was the one that if he came home on a Friday evening um, with groceries, we just, it was kind of like a sigh of relief, we're going to eat. And if he didn't, my mom had to scrape together, um, you know, whatever we had um, so that we could eat. Uh, with us, with my brothers and sisters, we copied a lot of my parents' behavior, so we did a lot of fighting amongst ourselves. And um, I just remember living in fear. I, um, I was scared all the time, never feeling safe. Um, like I said, if my dad came home, a lot of times he would um, line us kids up, all five of us, and take off his belt and start whipping us. And I wouldn't even know why. But all I, I do remember my sister being hysterical one time. And all I thought is, I just wanted to take the, the beating because I couldn't take how she was behaving. So 
there was a lot of damage um, growing up. And I felt like I never learned how to be around people. Um, We went to school. I did good academically. Uh, My education was important to me. It was just like the one thing that mattered to me. And I liked to read. Uh, We didn't do a whole lot as a family. Like I said, it was when I got out of it, I remember looking back and thinking it was a hellhole. And um, it's taken me years to even say this stuff because I would minimize a lot of things. I did not want to see it for what it was. But the reason why I have is I have siblings. We're all, like I said, my sister's oldest sister's two years older than me. So we're all like almost a year apart. There's 11 months between me and my next sister and then my two younger brothers. And I've seen the effect in their lives. Um, my brother's an alcoholic. My sister is an alcoholic. Um, I have my older sister. She's very mentally ill. Um, my younger brother, he kind of escaped from the family. He joined the Air Force, and um, he retired from the Air Force. He distanced himself, and he's kind of detached. He and I are the only ones that really in the family do communicate. But I talk about this childhood because it was the broken childhood that sometimes I get periods of time, as long as I have been in Al-Anon, Al-Anon saved my life, but as long as I have been in Al-Anon, I still get times where I get that feeling deep down, something will happen, and I just feel like I'm still this broken little girl. I need to get to meetings. I need to get around people. I need to talk to my sponsor. Um... I have my home group, and um, there's some friends here who know me back from 20 years ago (laughs) when I started going to the meeting, and um, New Dawn meeting. And I look at them, and I think they were the ones that inspired me and gave me hope. And I would sit in meetings, and um, I um, I just didn't know if there was any at times. Well, going through my childhood, when I hit my teen years, um, I met a boy and, um, of course, got into a relationship. I was so needy, but it was such a toxic, horrible relationship. Um, The only good thing that came out of it, um, when I was 16, I I was pregnant, had my daughter, and... um, um, I was scared to death. I did not want to have a baby. Um, But I know that God led me to do what I needed to do. And when I did have her, she gave me reason, reason to try to move out of whatever this situation, this life that I was in, to know something different with, um, uh, with... What might be out there? I know my dad used to say a lot, if you think it's bad here, you wait until you get out there in the world. And uh, I thought, oh, my God, I was literally scared to death. Um, I, again, focused on my education. That's what was important. I did well in school. I didn't get the encouragement or support at home. But I know that that was one thing. My mom or dad, but neither one of them would really say anything that I felt was positive to any of us kids. But I also know they had lives that they didn't have the ability to parent in a good, healthy way. Sometimes I'm appalled when I think of some of the things that we lived through, some of the things that were said, some of the things that were done, the abuse and that. But I also know I didn't get a lot of things, but I knew how important it was to learn things, to do better. Um, I did get, like I said, I got out of the relationship in my teen years. Um, It was uh, very unhealthy. It was abuse of the person that I was with was, um, did drugs. and was a drug addict and had some mental health issues. And there were times I let him choke me, um, berate me, 
um, belittle me. And I thought if I didn't get out of that relationship, I was going to, I was going to kill myself. And, um, but like I said with my daughter, I connected with an organization that helped me through that pregnancy too. And, um, Later on in life, um, I went to nursing school. I shouldn't say later on, but some years later, I went to nursing school. And um, once I got my RN license, um, I worked for that organization. And I became their clinical director for 18 years. And it was a gift for me to be able to help. I knew what it was like for these women that wouldn't speak up or if you asked them if they were being hurt wouldn't talk, and knowing that they needed a voice, they needed to learn how to empower themselves so they could be healthy parents for their children. Um, That was really a gift. And in nursing, I also worked in school health for eight years and um, always wanted that as far as in the educational piece and in the nursing part and Working in school health was a good fit for me. And um, so I have been very blessed. But it wasn't easy for me to do those things. I felt like it was 100 times harder than I'm just thinking just for the normal person to deal with the stress of tests and and um, doing some of the things that you needed to do to get through that. I thought... I, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. But I had a husband who helped me through that. I I met him uh, when I was 18, and we met in a bar, <laughs> of all places. I wasn't on a very good path, and my, um, my girlfriend, her uncle owned a bar, and so she said... Uh, let's you know. Let's go hang out at the bar, and I saw him there, and I remembered him from high school, and all I could remember was this guy scared me to death. Um, I was able to finish high school too. I graduated from high school, and but I tried to just keep to myself. I was I was I had very few friends. Um, I was just, I just wanted to be invisible, I guess. That's what got me through what I needed to. But when I met my husband um, in this bar, <laughs> and we started talking, and, and I just remember telling him, you're a nice guy. Like, he's like, well, because I remembered his reputation. I remembered the people he hung out with. He rode a motorcycle. He was the bad boy. And <laughs> I was like, that's a risk taker, and I've never taken much risk. And so we went out, and um, long story short, we got married when I was 20, uh, right before my 20th birthday and his 21st. And um, we were just, we were two unhealthy people just trying to get through. But one thing I knew is he always loved me. He loved me. And I never felt love. And I mean, love like, even though we were coming from very unhealthy places, a love that I could learn to trust. I did not trust anything at that time. So having him in my life and getting through, and he loved my daughter, and he was her father in every sense of the word. We may have been doing some unhealthy things, and but he kind of settled down. He had his nights out, did his drinking, whatever. But I would think, well, he comes home at night. My dad never came home at night, so this is progress. <laughs> so <laughs> what little did I know, what little did I know. And then... We had my son. Um, we had my son in '84, so we were married four years. We had bought a house. He sold his motorcycle, so we could have money put down on a home. And we bought a bungalow, and we were doing okay. And 
I worked a uh, work-study program and got a different job so we could have health insurance, and he was in an apprenticeship program in roofing, and um, it, we just we did the best that we could. And then my son was born. Um, I remember him not being there at the hospital. He was out partying, having fun. And I would think, uh, well, um, that's how you deal with things. Um, eight years after my son was born, um, we had my daughter. Um, and um, we had our daughter. And so we were doing okay. I, I had finished nursing school after between my son and my daughter, and um, he was supportive to that. He was um, encouraging. Um, just I could feel like he was somebody that I could count on. Um, we had our time, so. And when he went bowling and would come home late and be loud, and we'd start arguing, and I still remember my son telling me when he got older, he said he remembered when his dad would come home at night um, after bowling or whatever because we would argue and um, I would get reactive to the point where I would throw things, be screaming at nighttime. And he said he remembers me just knocking everything off the dresser in the bedroom onto the floor. So it continued. This disease has been so toxic um, in my life, and the effects of it have caused me to react in ways that I was just um, a very ugly person. I could be a very ugly person. And then we would have our good times, too. And things went along until my son was about 13, and my older daughter was getting married. And I remember an incident happening where we were at um, we were at the wedding, where the parents of the bride and my someone came up to me at the wedding and said your son is while people would be up dancing your son is drinking people's drinks from the tables I was just appalled like oh my gosh so I'm thinking this kid is going to be on the floor oh he's dancing he's having a good time I'm the one that was so sick the next day because I'm thinking he's going to be sick the next morning. He's going to be so sick. I hope he doesn't die. And it was me that was sick to my stomach about everything that had happened that night. And the light just went on like this is like people were laughing like, oh, you know, this is what sometimes kids just drink too much or whatever. And I was like thinking, no, this is not good. This is not good. That that stood out because that was just the beginning of the roller coaster ride we were on with my son's addiction. And my son was in treatment centers. I was so trying to control him. Um, I spent so much time. We spent so much time as far as getting him into a treatment center, um, having him evaluated. He was in outpatient treatment, and then I knew he needed inpatient treatment and with, this, with the local facilities. So in Solon, um, there was a place near us. Um, I knew that um, my son was dealing drugs at school, dealing at school, and um, one day found um, bags of marijuana in his pants pockets. He had the pants set aside. I think he was going to put them on and he already had all his stuff stashed or whatever. And I took those pants and hit them and um, thought, he's not going to do this anymore. Um, we had been at outpatient uh, treatment meetings where they had suggested Al-Anon and I was like, my life's too busy between work and trying to control this kid and keep track of him. I was so wore down, and I felt a lot of times I was doing it by myself. What little did I know, my husband was coping in a different way by drinking more. And so we were really on this roller coaster where I, that day, I remember calling the treatment center and saying, my son needs to be in patient treatment. He's doing this at school. He's, you know, um, things are escalating. They're like, well, we have a bed open. We 
you know, if you can get them here. I said, how am I supposed to get them there? And they said, figure it out. So what I did, and I still don't know why I did this, but I had a booklet of meetings and went through it and said, I need to get to a meeting. It was like uh, so clear to me. Went to a meeting, and it was in another area in Bedford, and I remember afterwards just crying coming out of the meeting. I went to the police station, told them what was going on, and they already knew, had some dealings with my son prior to that. So they, they knew him, but I remember them, um, you know, they got, they got the stuff um, from the pants pocket and that. So then they went to the school. They arrested them. And I followed them. My husband didn't want any part of it. And I followed them, and I went into the school and into the office, and my son was screaming at me, "Uh, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? And I thought, I'm losing my mind because I'm watching my son handcuffed. They're taking him out of the school, almost like an example, because I'm sure there were other kids doing what he was doing too. And... um, They took him to the treatment center, though. So, but when I left there, I just, like, I just wanted to collapse. I wanted to be so done with everything. But he did his outpatient treatment. Um, He did relapse after that, found another place for him in Minnesota. A treatment center drove out there. I mean, we were doing everything. I remember when my coworker, another nurse, told me about this place out in Minnesota because she knew what was going on. We worked closely together. And she told me about this place in uh, Minnesota. And um, I thought, okay, this is going to fix things. And, but it was going to cost $10,000 to get him into the place. We didn't have $10,000, but we got to the credit union. We got the money. We got the check. And we dragged him. We, we drove out there. It was a rough ride. And again, he got kicked out of that treatment center. They had a family week that they wanted us to show up for after he'd been in there for about a month, if I remember right. And we went out there, and that was, he said, eh, you came out here, you're taking me home. And it's like, no, no, you're going to halfway house. There was a plan for him. Well, he acted out to the point where they said, we're either going to take him to a psych facility here, or you take him home. And we ended up taking him home. Well, you know, the roller coaster continued, and um, I was going to Al-Anon meetings. I, my, um, my friends, you know, people in the meeting, I would listen to their stories, but I thought I still, it, it felt pretty hopeless. Um, I, I meant to mention earlier, all these papers here, the 16 pages I hand wrote of my first, or my second lead, I think it was, that I stood and read at a meeting those poor people had listened to. <laughs> but I did that because it actually helped me reveal secrets that helped me heal, that I could forgive myself for, because I did a lot of bad things in this process. I said bad things to my son, how he was ruining the family. Six months after I went and came into Al-Anon, my husband tells me, He's an alcoholic. Well, he had been taking my son to AA meetings. My son was 15, 15, 16, didn't drive. And he'd say he would go into the, my husband would go into the meetings, and they, people would see him there and, that knew him and say, well, you finally made it here. He said, oh, no, I'm here for my son. And um, he continued to go to meetings and um, one day told me he was an alcoholic. He said, I think I'm an alcoholic. This disease was so distorted for me because he could go to a job, he could function. But I didn't know till later on when I listened to his leads how much drinking was going on. It's like it's right there in my house. I think I have everything under control. I think I know everything. I think I know what's going on. And I haven't a clue. I did not have a clue. Um, And so it really, like, I didn't have to ask him anymore (laughs) as far as, are you sure about this? Because even though that felt like one more thing I could not deal with, and believe me, I was ready to leave the marriage, take my younger daughter, 
head to another place and just start over again. But I had to take me with me. And I had so much effects from the disease of alcoholism, addiction. Um, There's so many addictions out there. And a lot of them are in my family. Um, I have my three children, um, Amy, Brandon, and Shelly, and um, four grandchildren. I have four grandsons. When my daughter was, my oldest daughter was um, the same age I was when I was pregnant with her, she was pregnant. Um, It was one of them things like deja vu, one of my worst fears came right back at me. And a lot of it had to do with the way that I was dealing with things. And I, I was, um, I knew I needed to start doing things differently. But she had, my grand, she had my grandson, who's 29, my oldest grandson, and then my youngest daughter has three boys. And then the oldest one, he has, um, he has a baby now, he and, him and his wife. And that baby is seven months old. And they are such joys in my life. Oh, I'm thinking if my husband and I, through all we'd been through and all the, um, like, it, it's about the meetings, him doing his, what he needed to do, and I could detach from that. I, the hardest thing for me was with my children when they had issues going on. My oldest daughter had a food addiction. She has some mental health issues. Um, uh, she was in a relationship for many years that was abusive, and it's hard not to feel guilt from things. And I had to really learn to forgive myself. And it's taken me a long time because I can be my worst. I, I can beat up on myself. I don't need anybody else to do that. And uh, the program has taught me so many, so many things. Um, when I get out of the way, and I did get out of out of the way with my son. We finally had to tell him he had to leave the house. He had to move out, and at um, and he did. And he kept coming back, and he'd beat on the door. And you know, it, it, there we had so many incidents. And all I would do is just uh, I'd wake up during the night, panicked. Is he okay? Where's he at? What's going on? It was the hardest thing to do, but we had to do it. And when he was 21, he finally got sober. We were nowhere around him at the time. But there were people out there, and first and foremost, higher power watching over. And it took me a while to realize that, that higher power was with me all along. And um, even when I didn't feel like I could trust or really know, um, you know, what was, what was going on, um, over the years... Um, I feel like I have come out of a shell. I've learned so much. I've had to unlearn a lot of negative things, um, learn some positive ones. I still have my slips. I still have difficulties. I have family members now that are so sick. Um, um, my mom had remarried. Uh, she divorced my dad and had remarried. Um, had a, my sister, who was 25 years younger than me, after having five kids, by the time she was 22, she had my sister when she was 45. And talk about, bad, talk about difficult choices. I mean, my, my sister um, and my mom had moved to Tennessee. Um, she moved to Nashville when she left to get away from my dad. And, um, and she was chasing the dream. In fact, she wanted to be a country singer. Um, she used to tell us all the time, if it wasn't for you kids, I'd be out of here. And, but anyway, once she did get out, she headed for Nashville and wanted to achieve this dream. And I, I felt okay for her. My dad tried to find her there. He was very, my dad was a very controlling man. So, and he did find her there. And she told me the story about how he found her and how he got in a car with a gun and put it to her head. And um, she told him, go ahead, pull the trigger, and, but your life will be over as well as mine. 
And um, he got out of the car and never, I don't think he ever really bothered her again after that, came back to Ohio. But my dad, um, he, he, like I said, was very controlling that when he did lose her, um, that, that really, really put him in a bad way. And so he, he passed away about 18 years ago, colon cancer. And I was able to, because I hated my dad for many years while I was growing up. Um, the program taught me how to forgive, how to love, how to have compassion. And I thank God for that, because I have the peace with both my parents. My mom passed away four years ago from Alzheimer's. And I am so grateful that in my heart I have the peace to live with the choices that I have made because I wanted to justify, justify, justify why I could say and do awful things. But once I hit a point, I could no longer do that. And um, I was with both of my parents when they died. And um, like I said, there's there's a process in that. It doesn't happen overnight. It took me years to get to that, but because of the program, I was, I was able to get to that. Um, when my dad died, there were issues. The family pretty much, we were a very unhealthy family anyways, but my siblings um, stopped connection with, um, with my sister because um, some financial issues where she took my dad's money, which was ironic because he did have a lot of money at the time. We had none growing up, but there was some money there. And um, so that split up the family. And my sister had, had uh, stopped any communication with us. And I tried to reconnect with her. And I remember I talk about this because it was just so, it's, it's about when you make those amends. And sometimes you do set some expectations with them, like what the outcome might be. And you find out. I do not control the outcome. I do not control the outcome. And I wanted to make amends with my sister. I remember thinking, I don't want, I don't want to leave this earth never being able to see her again. And um, went to her house. And I, I thought, what kind of amends am I going to make? Because there were so many hurtful, hurtful things that she did. But I had to remember my part. I had to think about what was my part, though. And my part in making those amends was that what had happened, I had wanted to make amends that um, I had wished it had never happened, that things had not gotten so ugly. I, I wanted to reconnect with her. But when I got to her house and she didn't answer the door, I sat in her driveway for for a few minutes or I don't even know how long. Next thing I knew, the police were behind me and they came up to the car window, came up to my window and they said, I still remember the police officer saying, the owner of this property does not want you here. You need to leave immediately. And I just cried. It was like a death. I felt like it, it was over with. I, that was the end of my relationship with her. I tried, and it just didn't. It felt like a death. And so I remember crying all the way home. Well, it wasn't too long after that. I ran into somebody. It was actually at someone's house. They had told me that my sister's husband was dying of cancer. And um, I think she gave me his phone number. And I tried to call him. I ended up finding out where he was, the hospital he was in, and reconnecting with him. And then my sister found out um, at a later time about this, um, that we had communication. She was very much like my dad, very controlling. And anyways, um, uh, we were able to work through that. Um, my brother-in-law said something to her which I did not hear, but whatever he said, she changed immediately and responded to me in a way that we were able to reconnect. And so updating that now, that's been eight, 
or that's been about nine years ago. Um, and I've had a relationship with my sister, but her being an active alcoholic, I've had to really set my boundaries with her. And what has happened uh, for us recently is she had called me about a month, over a month ago, and she told me she had something serious to talk to me about, and she told me she had a brain tumor. And they were giving her three to four months to live. And do you know, in my heart, as hard as this relationship has been with her, as difficult as it, it has been, my heart hurt. I thought, love, I love her, I care about her. And what has happened is we can't change anything of the past, but I want her to know I'm there for her. And when I asked her, what can I do for you? Um, What can I do for you? How can I help you? And she said, I just want to be with you. And she's very much isolated herself in her disease even, that she has her son living with her, but he... um, He's very limited in his interaction. He has, uh, was diagnosed when he was younger with um, a form of ADD. So you can't really carry a conversation with him. But he's the one that's with her, takes her places and that. And um, so it's been them too. She has a daughter and a new granddaughter, um, a year old. And I think there's a lot of things that um, are coming up for her, especially at this time in her life. And um, she's been coming to church with us. Um, I feel like we're it for her. Thank God for that. Thank God that I could work through what I needed to, to be there for someone who is so difficult to love. But knowing that's the ones that need the love, the ones that need the love. And I have other family members that don't. Um, I don't want to say they don't care, but they've pretty much detached. Um, There's been so much, so much um, unresolved issues in the past. Plus, they don't have a program. I felt like I've worked many years to get where I'm at. My husband and I celebrating 43 years of marriage. We've been married 43 years. We've, I think, wow. <laughs> We've had our ups and downs. And we have so much to be grateful for. And that's the part that, um, uh, that's, that's the part that I feel has been a miracle in our lives is um, that we've gotten through it. And when I was in the darkest times of my life and feeling like I didn't care, I didn't care at times. Um, I think about when I was 29 years old. Uh, I was in nursing school at the time. Um, my daughter, the oldest one, she was 13. I was driving her to a gymnastics class. Um, had to get on 271, short ride to go take her to the gymnastics class. Um, I had my, I actually had my son in the car. Um, he was four or five at the time, and uh, he liked to jump around in the back seat. I could never keep him in the seatbelt, but my husband had gotten home from work, let him get out of the car so he could go with Daddy, and um, had my daughter, kept telling my daughter, put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt on. She's in the passenger side. I get on the highway, uh, 271, Weather's good. It's mid-April, and this was many years ago, but it's very profound in my life because I was driving in the curb lane, and a semi hit my car, and it hit me. at It was such impact that I lost control of the car and um, was heading for a guardrail, which would have taken me down into a ravine. I remember trying to steer that car away from the guardrail and it was like a ricochet and I came off and I ended up under the semi 
And what had happened is the semi was traveling. Um, it ripped off the hood of my car. And I went through this experience where I was flying through a tunnel. But I was having that direct conversation with higher power, with God. And see, I really had no prayer life before that. I really had no connection with the God. But I remember pleading, please don't take us now. Please don't take us now. And um, I didn't know I was under the semi, but we got out of it. We got out of this accident. I had some injuries. Um, I had to have some stitches in my head, but in comparison to what it could have been like um, and what it took for them to get my car, get us out, I don't even remember how we got out of the car and my daughter getting out and her being safe, but I couldn't even reach over and touch her if that was it. But just to have that realization that this could, this could be it. But inside I had Deep down in my gut, this emotion like, you can't take us now. And um, I got through it. And I remember in the hospital being hysterical and all just grateful I was alive. And then guess where I went with it? Anger. Anger. I was so angry. Why did he hit us? Haven't I had enough going on in my life? And um, I carried that for a long time. I had some post-trauma from it. It would run through my head. What could I have done different? It was changing my life. I was in nursing school. I was having some, I was having these fears that had been controlling my whole life come back at me again. It was just starting, it, it would trigger, trigger. It's those triggers that were getting me, and it was triggering this horrible fear. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to be able to do. I had a fear of of even driving, but I knew what I had to do. I got back to driving. I still, to this day, don't drive on the highway. Um, my husband and I, I always give him a hard time when he's driving the car. <laughs> and I know that has something to do with it because the chances of that ever happening again would be very slim. But for me, it was the reality that it did happen. So when I see, like today we were driving here and we saw a guy on a motorcycle, no helmet, no hands on the handlebars of the motorcycle. And I, I can start getting, like, I get upset. I'm like, what is that guy doing? Does he know that if somebody came up behind him and he doesn't even have control of the motorcycle or he could cause an accident? or It's like all these what-if scenarios that I can just train myself with. And I think this is, um, you know, th- this is something I need to learn to manage. And the program helps me put it in perspective, try to let it go, um, it's harder sometimes than others, especially if I'm checking his driving or <laughs> telling him he's getting too close to the curb or you're too close to that car or, or you know, what, whatever it is. I can make myself really overdo it with a lot of things. The key for me now is I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm aware. And then I have to take responsibility for how I respond to things and how I cannot react. I cannot be reacting to everything. And I know the difference. I have slips. My husband can definitely um, attest to that. Um, But I also feel like I have to forgive myself, too, with things. And I know I'm still a work in progress. I will continue to be. Uh, when I talk about gratitude, I think about what we do have. And it's not even about the material things. It's about the relationships we have. There's challenges in it, too. Like with my sister, it's a day-to-day thing um, with her. But I also feel like I want to be present for what matters. I don't want to go through the motions of things, but I want to be present and do what 
do it, my higher power, because that's been my greatest connection, my greatest gift, is that relationship with higher power. A lot of times I'll wake up in the morning, ask, God, God help me. Um, I need it every single day. With what's going on out in the world and the challenges that are happening, um, I have family members that just, like my sister in Tennessee, she's a meth addict, and she lost custody of her kids last summer. She overdosed in front of them in a parking lot. Um, I'm 500 miles away. There's only so much I can do. Um, I have to learn where I can help and where I am enabling. She's got custody back of her kids now. I pray every day. She's, uh, I saw her over the summertime before she got custody back. And she just had another baby. And uh, that baby was born addicted. Um, I spent time with her. I didn't want to judge her. Um, I wanted to be supportive to her. I wanted to keep that communication with her. And when I came back home, she sent me a wonderful message thanking me for being in her life. And then she stopped communicating with me totally. And I have to put that in higher power's hands and um, just pray and pray and pray. I pray for her. I pray for the kids. I pray for so many things I don't have control over. And um, the reality is people die. People die from this disease. People die from addiction and the alcoholism. And I know my life has been so greatly affected by it that um, I have to be aware, be aware of where my part is and where my part isn't, where I need to mind my own business and where I need to let go, let go and let God. When I came into the program, the slogans I didn't pay a lot of attention to, one day at a time, uh, was the one that I lived by, one hour at a time. Now my slogan is let go and let God. Let go and let God. And I have to trust that, and I have to trust the process. And it's hard. Some days are harder than others. Um, but I know that each and every day I get the gift. I get, to get, I get the gift of being a healthy grandparent example to my grandchildren, the time that I spend with them, to love them. They fish with Grandpa. We have a camper um, at a nice campgrounds where we get to enjoy. Um, the only thing we don't enjoy is we have neighbors that like to drink a lot. But... <laughs> And my husband gets up in the middle of the night to let them know that when their voices are rising and the music's rising, can they please, you know, stop with it? And, you know, there's always something. But anyways, for the most part, we enjoy where we're at, and we try to keep things, in, again, in perspective. And, um, and uh, we've been able to take trips, um, uh, spend more quality time together. Um, for me, it's about self-care, taking care of me when I need to go maybe for a walk, um, spend some time um, on myself. I watch my great-grandson a couple days a week. I watch my, uh, my youngest grandson um, while my daughter homeschools her other two boys, and she's a great parent. I see her and her husband communicate in ways that I'm like, we ain't even there yet. <laughs> but we're doing better. We are doing better. Um, I try to surround myself with positive things. And in my house, I have the wall hanging of the serenity prayer. I have plaques that say, uh, where there is struggles, there is also strength. There's another one that says, and remember, this too shall pass. I can look around my house. I, I have reminders everywhere, positive things. Um, another one, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. And then the choices we make, not the chances we take, determine our destiny. 
And I have one in my bathroom that says, if you can be anything, be kind. Uh, my refrigerator magnet, because I have a picture of me and my mom. I remember just me hugging my mom. Um, and I remember the reason I love that picture is that's the way I wanted her to hug me. That's the love I didn't get that I could give. I could give her. She didn't know how to give it. And she had, um, you know, she had a lot of problems. My mom was a gambler, too, like my dad later in life. She lost everything, ended up in a motel, home, basically without, without anything, lost her car, um, and eventually lost her health, all due to gambling at the casinos, slot machines. So, and her husband had passed from addiction, from drinking, alcoholism. Um, but up on that refrigerator, I have a magnet that says, never, never, never give up. And attitude is everything. Pick a good one. And one um, from Abraham Lincoln, the best thing about the future is that it comes one day at a time. Live well, laugh often, love much. And the one that I've been reading every day, and I have this in the foyer in my hallway at home, in my foyer area. And I will read this every day. Um, Always pray to have eyes that see the best in people, a heart that forgives the worst, a mind that forgets the bad, and a soul that never loses faith in God. And my faith in God and trusting. When I talk about that car accident that I had, and many times before that I took for granted about, what is my purpose in life? What am I doing here? Does it really matter that I'm here? And I'd get these things like uh, negative thoughts running through my mind. And when I had that moment in that car, I pleaded. And I thought, God was watching over me and has given me this time. And whether I really know what my purpose is, I'm standing here talking to a room full of people who I hope there's no one sitting here that ever feels that there's a hopeless situation, that there is always hope, and that life is worth it, and we are worth it. And I have met so many amazing people in the program with the wisdom. I've heard programs. I, I think, um, gosh, what I have been given, I can't even express how much that means. And I, and I talk about the miracles in life. And I'm like, I think I am one. <laughs> I think I am one. And um, thank you all for listening. I'm so grateful to be here. Very honored to have been asked to speak. And I still hope I'm the right Cheryl that she was looking for. 